pressure. Isn't it amazing how one word, when sung in a very specific way, can be so iconic? Because I guarantee, especially if you're a Queen fan, you know exactly what song we're talking about today on this Queen Deep Dive. It is amazing we're here. And you guys, I have so much to talk about with this number. I was amazed how much information I found. I knew I would come across a lot. I knew there would be a lot of reviews. I knew there would be a lot of opinions and studies about it. But what I didn't expect was the sheer amount of information from the boys themselves, information about the structure of the song, the history of the song, the evolution of the song. This is an amazing song, and this is going to be a very long Queen Deep Dive, so hold on tight. It is the last number, the very last song on Queen's 10th album, Hot Space, released in 1982. This is track number 11 on the album, and it was actually released as a single prior to the album, Hot Space. And many believe this is the only redeeming song on the album Hot Space. Many believe that if it weren't for this song, the entire album would be a lost cause. And we'll talk more about that as I wrap up Hot Space entirely. But today, it is all about this very special number that I think gets a lot of love and still deserves that much more, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking about the magnificent collaboration that came from an organic jam session was not planned, was not forced in the slightest. This is Under Pressure by Queen and Bowie. David Bowie. We're on dive number 119. Wow. And this is a true collaboration, right down to the production, the lyrics, the music, Everything, everything is credited to Queen and Bowie. I love that. No stone unturned amongst the five of them. Really quite the story to tell with the song. It was written in July of 1981. This is pop rock. There are elements of lots of things here, actually. We do have repeated motifs. I think that's what makes this fly and soar successfully. There are themes here in this song that you probably don't even notice as you kick back and enjoy it. But there are motifs that repeat. And that's what holds this all together. Especially when you think about we have five guys contributing to this. This amazing song. It was released as a single October 26th of 81 in the UK. And October 27th of 81 in the U.S. It was also released in Germany, Australia, Italy, Yugoslavia, Portugal, Japan, Spain. The list is almost endless. And it was number one in the U.K. and in Canada and in the Netherlands. It was number 29 in the U.S. I'm surprised by that. Actually, I, I, I think this, I'm just surprised <laughs> that this didn't chart higher in the U.S. at the time. 
We are at 114 beats per minute in the time signature of 4-4, simple common time. And we're primarily in the key of D major with a brief echo of a transition, a tease of G major. And under pressure is entirely about love. Why can't we give love in this restless world? This song expresses that, not in those exact words, but many times over. And that phrase, why can't we give love, sung many times by Freddie Mercury. There's nothing about this that isn't iconic. The bass, particularly. But there's so much more that makes Under Pressure a timeless, unforgettable piece. The piano, the claps, the hand claps, the finger snaps, the almost muted, restrained guitars, the bursts of drums on beat four that take us in and out of every phrase, the meeting of Freddie and David's voices as they mesh and dance around each other, influenced and worked into one another. There are moments they're so incredibly distinctive, David and Freddie. But throughout, they sound strong, lovely together. It's an interesting counterpoint between David's doom and gloom lyrics versus Freddie's sad, yet still hopeful, victim expression. Bowie's less structured, unpredictable approach works wonders against Freddie and Queen's meticulous, careful, melodic consideration. Yes, Freddie and David steal the show, but there wouldn't be such a breathtaking show without all the boys. We need John here to take us beyond that known baseline. We need Brian to create movement and interest through that guitar. We need Roger's booming, rolling percussion. And with such a universally, persistently relevant message, an encouragement of love in a world full of bleak, challenging realities, this is the centerpiece of Hot Space. Full of moments that make Queen, Queen, with that touch of dreamy Bowie magic. The lyrics in this song are something to behold. There's a debate as to whether Bowie was very much the mastermind behind them entirely or if all of the boys and perhaps maybe Freddie most of all contributed to them. But there's an interesting contrast between the lyrics and the music here. The restrained, melancholic brevity of the instruments. They're almost cautiously bright like that silver lining alone the instruments have a hopefulness rising underneath them and then there's the lyrics in their bleak harsh reality i've always gravitated toward that there are other songs like that by other artists i particularly love that have that same kind of contrast between a very warm and inviting Melodic atmosphere, but the lyrics are something else entirely. And I think this song is, is the epitome of that. Something that sounds like it's hopeful, but on paper, the words do have a hopefulness, but there's a very dark doom intertwined with that. 
This song was performed 145 times, mostly in 82, but it was a live staple going forward. Played at every performance from its release in 81 through Queen's final shows with Freddie in 1986. The first live performance of this was in Montreal in November of 81. This is, of course, Rock Montreal. And it's so incredible to have this in high def. So in case you missed it, this concert was the first by any band to be filmed in 35 millimeter, which gives it that cinematic quality. Also made it possible to remaster it to absolutely jaw-dropping high quality. It could be yesterday. It looks like it could be yesterday, and it almost feels that way when you watch it. So to hear Under Pressure and see the boys playing and singing in all their glory, it's something special. First, John and Roger, right from the start, they're absolutely locked in. No flaw, right on top of it. This is a testament to just how in tune they were with each other, just how in sync they were, how well rehearsed they were. And Freddie, playful, perky as ever, strutting around without a shirt, winning our hearts. The moment Roger's drums really crash in and we get that fantastic pressure, we're rocking. Impressive that this was the first performance and this is one of those moments the guys genuinely enjoy. I've talked about some of the songs, when you see them, when you see the guys, they are a little bit going through the motions, dare I say it, but this one is not like that. The rapport between Freddie and Roger is especially bright and lovely. John's bopping, Brian soars, the wide shots of them flanking Freddie front and center, fabulous. And hearing Brian's resonant ding-dings that stand in for those memorable piano chords, it's genius. Because it's just the four of them at that concert in Montreal. That is the last time just the four of them played together on a stage. They added keyboardist, accompanist after that. But this is just the four of them. And they make it work to astounding effect. Roger and Freddie sound fantastic together, singing mostly in unison, save the occasional upper-lower octave pairing. They're energetic and brilliant. Wembley is, of course, more ironed out. It's years later, so we've got the fuller sound with keyboards. Freddie's vocal performance is really buttoned up. He alters his delivery for the successful delivery in lower ranges. It starts out at a breakneck pace, but then they settle in, and it's great. It's quite touching that while Freddie was alive... Bowie chose never to sing this life himself. It was only after Freddie's death that David began singing this regularly at live performances. That is really sweet. There's a little bit of a legend out there that the reason David never touched this during Freddie's lifetime is because there was some animosity between them after they wrote the song together. I don't know if that's actually true. I read a few comments that alluded to that. So asterisks, I don't know if that's actually true. I like to believe that David wanted Queen to have this brilliance. It was a collaboration, and yes, he was a huge part of it. Arguably the most important part of it, and we'll go into that in a moment here. But then he, he not only sang the song, of course, at the tribute concert. 
with Annie Lennox. What a great pairing, by the way. He sang it after that at his performances. And I think that's a really nice nod to Freddie and the boys. Guys, I have so many facts about Under Pressure. I, I have pretty much the entire story of how this thing came to be. So bear with me. I think these are really cool facts. I think this is a really exciting behind the scenes look at how things panned out. So hold on. I went through many different resources to get this information and I tried to vet it as best I could. So here we go. Under Pressure evolved from a work in progress called Feel Like, which was a Roger Taylor creation. And this song was actually complete. It was pretty rough. But the most recognizable portion was the chord progression and the drums, that kind of garage rock feel. You'll hear that in Under Pressure. And it's quite sweet, actually, feel like. Roger's lyrics, they're, they encourage trust and tenderness with a, a love interest. It's not a bad song. It's not a bad song at all. And it's almost funny to hear the elements of Under Pressure there in Feel Like. Just go listen to it. Go check out Feel Like by Queen. Freddie's vocal performance is a little bit muted at times because it's a demo, but you'll get the gist of it. And it's not bad for a rough take. According to Rody Peter Hintz, who shared his story with The Guardian, the band jammed in the studio with David and it all got recorded, including songs like All the Young Dudes, of course, Mott the Hoople, all the way from Memphis. Raj mentioned Cream songs in an interview, etc. Eventually, they decided to write something together. Now, John came up with that famous bass riff, which they all got jazzed about. But after taking a break for food, pizza, and plenty of drink, they returned to the studio to realize they forgot how John's riff went. They argued, and the atmosphere was particularly tense. So David may have actually changed the riff slightly, resulting in what we hear today, which could be why that bass riff, maybe that's why it's credited to David, the mastermind David. Anyway, spoiler, they figured it out. <laughs> they may have argued a little bit about how the riff went. In fact, if I recall, there was a comment by one of the other guys saying that David went over to John and put his hands on John's bass and said, no, that's not, that's not how it went. <laughs> there was a little bit of tension there, but they did figure it out. They took John's riff and went back to Roger's feel like to expand it. So Freddie and David swapped verses blindly singing, unaware of the other's performance, though David may or may not have snuck up on Freddie to hear his vocals. And they sang whatever came to mind, creating that very diverse, unpredictable feel. And all of the guys did this. There are actually outtakes of the guys singing, mostly of David and Freddie. But there's a moment where Brian contributes, and that ultimately got cut. But all of the guys contributed vocals to this, sans, of course, John. So with that instinctive approach, that very unpredictable, let's let this evolve and sing whatever we want, the track was originally called People on Streets, taken directly from those spontaneous vocals. And Brian confirmed it was David who insisted he play a portion of this on 12-string guitar, which was later overdubbed. Bowie 
claimed this was written in, quote, one evening flat, unquote. Though accounts from Queen suggest it was a longer day, perhaps fueled by wine and cocaine. Writing and recording it was one thing. Mixing it was an entirely different adventure. Freddie and David worked the mix, but with difficulty. Roger was there and supposedly at some point walked out unsatisfied with the sound, likely the drums in the mix. And Brian as well said that he had to let go when it came to the sound of the song too. And probably during the recording of it as well. They all had their say when writing and recording in the studio, of course. But Brian specifically said it took a lot for him to let it go. Now, despite all the confrontation, Rhody Peter Hintz confirmed there was other rockin' material created during the impromptu jam and recording session. Under Pressure was released well before the album Hot Space, which was released in May 82. I don't know how that fact got buried in here somewhere, but anyway, I know I already said that. I'm saying it again. It was Queen's second UK number one and Bowie's third. The video is comprised of many stock footage clips featuring war, destruction, stark images contrasted with very celebratory crowds and kissing couples. It's regarded as an important and innovative video, especially today. Under Pressure is included on a large number of greatest hits compilations for both Queen and Bowie. We've got greatest hits, absolute greatest for the former, and best of Bowie, nothing has changed for the latter, just to name a few. Vanilla Ice did sample this. Never mind his initial denial and the claim that his one changed note in the arrangement made it unique. His failure to request the sample in a respectful, legal way encouraged Queen and Bowie to threaten with a copyright infringement suit. Now, Vanilla Ice eventually did pay the original artists, and Queen and Bowie earned songwriting credit on Ice Ice Baby. So regardless of all that, Ice Ice Baby did in fact reach number one, and sampling classic songs, especially in hip-hop music, became mainstream. This is such an interesting fact because I never would have thought about that. But after that happened, a lot of classic riffs from tunes of yesteryear started popping up, especially in hip-hop songs in popular music. I can think of multiple songs right off the top of my head that, that started to do this. Mariah Carey's work. There's a song by MC Light called Cold Rock A Party that does that. There are so many of them. And this song really kick-started that trend. But you hear it all the time now. So it's interesting that a song that was so controversial and so surprising to some, because I'll, I'll be honest, I, I probably heard the riff in Ice Ice Baby first. That was my generation and I was still quite young, but that is the first time I heard that. Of course, now whenever I hear it, I immediately think of Under Pressure. So the tables have turned. What is that quote from The Office? How the turntables? <laughs> Anyway, you get my point. Sampling in music, especially in hip-hop and rap, in a lot of pop songs is such a thing now. And this Ice Ice Baby really began that trend. More fun facts about Under Pressure. This is Roger's favorite song from the band, or at least one of. He calls it special. 
though he's always been critical of the song's mix. The boys released a raw mix of this in 1999 to promote their greatest hits three compilation. This is, oh, it's quite the mix. It's so fun. The sliding synths. The outtake vocals introduced at the beginning from Freddie scattered throughout the entire song, actually. The drums are so celebratory. The manipulated vocals that wave in and out, it's great. I also discovered this song was used very effectively in the recent film, After Sun, where the song drops out midway and the vocals mesh with this affecting string arrangement. It's haunting and a terrific example of music used to tell the story in a film. Some of the vocal tracks for the song have, yes, been leaked, and that's where you can hear outtakes of the boys, including Brian's vocals that never made it on the final track. Freddie's, why don't you give yourself that one more chance? He's so much grittier in those outtakes. And Bowie's alternative closing, phrasing, the different words used, the different rhythms, Roger's backing vocals, a treat to hear those outtakes. I have a lot of band critique, a lot. In July of 82, and I tried to do this in chronological order, Roger told International Musician and Recording World, quote, there's no grand design behind our music. We're basically here to entertain people, hopefully with intelligently made music and not production line music. We like to change. We like to say things, but the lyrics are not profound. Everybody laughed when they asked what Under Pressure was all about. It's quite simply about love, which is the most uncool, unhip thing, unquote. In September of 84, during an interview in France, John said, quote, on the album, the track was credited to Bowie and Queen, but in fact, it was essentially Freddie, although we all contributed. The baseline came from David. It took me a certain time to learn it, but there was also a strong influence from Brian on the middle part. It was an interesting experience, which we might repeat if we have a chance with David and other people. Unquote. So he says Bowie came up with the baseline. Remember, we talked about that. But honestly, maybe <laughs> they were definitely drinking and the cocaine was fueling the session. So maybe John just forgot because all of the others are pretty adamant that that riff was primarily John's doing. Either that or he is just extremely humble about it. But to hear from him just how collaborative this was is really nice. Freddie told Radio 1990 in 84, quote, we were friends from a long time back and we were in Montreux in Switzerland. We own a studio there, so we're working there and he, David, lives there. He just happened to be there and he kept coming to the studio, listening to our tracks and we were jamming to some of his old songs. And one day we were having dinner and after that we were going back into the studio to carry on with the session and it just happened. He said, Oh, why don't we just fool around and get something started and see what happens? And you know, started playing the piano and the rest of the band were there and we started putting something down and under pressure started to build, unquote. And again, Roger in 2002, quote, absolutely nothing was written. And in fact, all that we were doing was jamming and David came in one night and we were just playing other people's songs for fun. And David said, this is stupid. Why don't we just write one? 
It was originally called People on Streets. We took the multi-track tapes to New York, and I spent all day there with David and mixed it that night. I remember we were fiddling about, and we got the bass line, and then we went for a pizza. And when we got back, we couldn't remember it. And somebody thought of it. John did, yes, unquote. You know what, though? There's a video interview, and I think it might be the Days of Our Lives documentary, where Roger says he remembered the bass line. Somebody remember the baseline, and then maybe it got tweaked. Details are fuzzy. Roger's enthusiasm for this is evident, as noted in 2003 on Greatest Video Hits 2 Commentary. He said, quote, it wasn't the best recording we ever made, but it was one of the best songs we ever did, I think. It was a really ace song, and I loved it, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, it sort of endured quite well. I hear it quite often on the radio, and I love the last section. Unquote. Brian told Mojo Magazine in 2008 that the collaboration wasn't easy. Quote, it was hard because you had four precocious boys and David, who was precocious enough for all of us, David took over the song lyrically. Unquote. And later in 2017, Brian spoke to Mojo again. Quote, Freddie and David locked horns without a doubt, but that's when the sparks fly, and that's why it turned out so great. Unquote. In the Days of Our Lives doc, Brian elaborated more. Quote, suddenly you've got this other person inputting, inputting, inputting. He, David, had a vision in his head, and it's quite a difficult process, and someone has to back off, and eventually I did back off, which is unusual for me. Unquote. And finally, in 2009, on Queen Absolute Greatest Hits, Brian and Roger spoke about this brilliant song with lots of love. Brian, quote, the song kind of does sound like a jigsaw puzzle, but it, I think it works amazingly well. It's one of the songs which doesn't seem to date as well, I must say. It always has something to say, quote. And Roger, it has a great heart and soul, this song. It's one of my personal favorites. Unquote. How absolutely perfectly summarized that we end on those quotes from Brian and Roger that Brian says, you know, this song doesn't age, which is absolutely true. Its relevancy is universal, it's constant. You can pick up these lyrics and read them now and think, somebody just wrote this. It's timeless. And I want to talk about that more as I, as I get through the rest of this, but to hear Brian say that and then Roger say, this is something special. They're right. They're absolutely right. Let's keep going because I still got more to talk about. But, and guess what? This is the best part. My how dare they from critics or from anyone, I have only one quote from Sounds at the time of the single's release. Quote. Queen's performance is surprisingly good. It's Bowie and Mercury's vocals and words that, I almost can't say this, let the whole thing down, unquote. What? What? Let's go back. Bowie and Mercury's vocals and words that let the whole thing down. Why? This is a moment where I want more context. Why did this person summarizing this song write that? What is it about the vocal performance that is so much of a letdown for you? 
Is it because they're unpredictable? Is it because there isn't really a chorus here? There are moments that fuel and build and, and rise and crescendo, but we don't actually have a formal chorus. And I think that's another reason this song is so unique. It's not typical in structure. It's not conventional. We go from basically one bridge to a second bridge, actually, that feels a bit like a solo or, or a little bit of an aversion before we come back to what we've become familiar with in the first half of the song. So there's a lot here that makes this incredibly unique. And, and maybe that's why. Maybe that's why this, this person thought, this is a letdown. But I'd, I'd love some context behind that. The good news is, more good news. I have a ton of praise for this. Quote, something deep and significant going on here. Rage and pathos bubbling in Bowie's performance, not to mention the squeaking of Mr. Mercury's accompaniment. Unquote. Melody Maker wrote that. Anthony Meek, is it Michio or Mika? Miko, I'm so sorry. I'm terrible with pronunciations. Anthony Michio at Stylus called this the, quote, best song of all time, unquote, and an opus. Stephen Thomas Erlewine, I've mentioned him many times through my dives of all music, praised this, calling it the undeniable saving grace of hot space, writing, quote, under pressure, an utterly majestic, otherworldly duet with David Bowie that recaptures the effortless grace of Queen's mid-70s peak, but is underscored with a truly affecting melancholy heart that gives it a genuine human warmth unheard in much of their music, unquote. And he's absolutely right. Now me, I feel like there's a lot of heart in, in Queen's work, especially in their earlier work. They lose it a little bit going into the latter part of the 70s and into the 80s here. I've talked about that, how something shifted for the boys. And it wasn't just the style of their music. It was the attitude. Something changed. And I don't know if it was disenchantment from the press or this chip on the shoulder thing. I don't know. But something did shift. And I think it is incredibly accurate and true to say, to write, that Under Pressure has a very genuine expression that I think does stand out, especially among that more recent work of the boys. Jack Hamilton at Slate wrote a fabulous tribute to David Bowie in 2016 after his death. And in that tribute, he praised Bowie as the primary master hind behind Under Pressure, but he acknowledged the greatness of Queen that was brought to new heights. Quote, Queen were an incredible rock band, but one whose particular energies and artistry were often the proverbial square peg. Their theatricality was often heard as dishonesty. Their humanism was easy to miss for people disinclined to listen for it. Queen, not generally an outfit renowned for subtlety, has never sounded so lithe and nimble as they do here, unquote. And there is an interesting shift. You know, we talked about that, that how in this song, the music is surprisingly restrained. This is not the same bombastic stuff we got, especially years earlier from Younger Queen. This is much more reserved and pulling back on the reins again, but just enough to create that momentum when those drums burst out or when those big guitars pound in, you know? Open culture 
in a 2014 article celebrating the song, wrote, quote, Bowie and Freddie Mercury's traded lines and melodic scatting build to powerful crescendos that pull back into deeply moving harmonies. Lyrically, the song competes with anything written by either artist, unquote. Smooth Radio celebrated this number as, quote, two titans of British rock music came together arm in arm to create one of the most recognizable songs of the past 40 years, unquote. Fans love this. Fans love this. But you know what's really interesting? I don't read a lot from fans about this. Not nearly as much as songs like We Will Rock You, Bo Rap, even... Bicycle Race, Don't Stop Me Now especially. I don't read as much from fans, and I don't know why that is. There was a resurgence in popularity for this, especially after Bowie's death in 2016. Especially after that. But even on the Queen's sub on Reddit, I seldom, people don't acknowledge this that often. People will post things about it. Oh, here's the outtakes for you to check out. But even then, not a lot of comments from the fandom. And I'm not entirely sure why, because it doesn't seem as though people are unimpressed by it. Certainly not at all. But for some reason, it's almost like the brilliance of this, you know, once in a lifetime collaboration between these incredible men, a little bit of that is missed or diminished after all these years that have gone by. I don't know, it's, it's interesting. I do know that fans by and large, for the most part, really do adore this song. And there isn't a person I've spoken to that doesn't enjoy something about this. This is one of those songs that I think anyone massive Queen fan or not can get something really relevant and interesting and meaningful out of it. And the song itself, from start to finish, is quite the Deal. We talked about those repeated motifs. We're going to hear them a lot through the whole thing. But there are details here that are so important to the movement of the song and its impact, the subtleties. That open hi-hat from the very moment it starts, the bouncy, persistent, memorable bass, seven played notes utilizing only two. Simple, but what an impact. Clap, snap. Organic percussion that will shift from the second and fourth beats to alternate and dance around us. The piano that resolves from a fourth to a fifth, the tonic shifting in octave. The arrival of that synth, tonic fifth. It sounds like a horn, perhaps sounding the alarm. We're centered around these notes and chords, and we'll find, save the bridge, there's a little complexity. It's the arrangements of the instruments and the clever rhythms that intrigue and hook us. Brian glitters on guitar, but it feels more folk or lullaby-like. If it were isolated, you'd likely recognize it was from this, but it would be softer, sleepier. I never realized just how long this intro is. It's nearly 30 seconds. And there's so much alternation in that hi-hat opening. Just listen to it. It becomes more and more frequent, unpredictable, genius. Finally, Freddie. Mmm, buddy. Mmm, buddy. Those improvised gems that survived to the final cut. And as if to explode, that snap of a snare precedes the powerful word. Pressure! Pushing down on me, pressing down on you, no man ask for. Notice the piano and eighth notes staccato, cycling through the chord progressions, as if to continue that wave of dominating pressure. 
The bass also pushes on us until the second phrase when John dances away from the tonic to give us that magic. The synth is also back, calling out, and the simple addition of it along with John's melodic bass warms the verse, not so much that we feel comfortable, but just enough to intensify. Roger's drumming is some of the snappiest, sharpest we've heard lately. There's an edge and an angst, even as the tempo remains that steady, somewhat relaxed 114 BPM. Let's talk about Bowie and Freddie. They layer, trade off, sing together flawlessly. It's unforced, it's organic, effortless, somehow blending and maintaining their tone simultaneously. The frantic admission from David, the sad hopefulness from Freddie. I love focusing on Brian's guitar, its own diminished, subdued brightness. Another bombastic explosion. It's the terror of knowing what this world is about. Roger rides that snare on every beat. The iconic piano chords shatter that suspension created by John's persisting fourths in octaves. Did you notice that? He's playing the same note, albeit higher or lower. So many sixth and seventh chords here. Pray tomorrow gets me higher. Love Freddie's optimism, despite the cloudy darkness around all of David's lyrics here. That contrast, brilliant. Pressure on, people, people on, streets. This resolution, that chord progression, the wrapped up beats and guitar strums, the vocals binding it together. It's lovely. Freddie's playfulness, and we hear a low sustained D on piano. Simple guitar chord. Okay. Interpreting Freddie's improv is like a riddle. Does this okay mean something? Is he beginning to give in to the reality of life's darkness? Is he going to admit, all right, all right, this isn't going to be easy? Or is he standing up to challenge? Is he ready to admit how tough it is? The next lyric reveals the answer. Chipping around, kicking my brains on the floor. These are the days it never rains, but it pours. First, his falsetto, like the number before it. Cool cat, pristine. David's haunting, oohs, tugging at Freddie's vocals. Such atmosphere they create. Nice that we get another round of these chords. David's vocals dominating, rising over the staccato-driven people on streets. Another round of explosive pressure. Pray tomorrow gets me higher, higher, higher. Sinking into sadness, ignorance, perhaps a brief change in tone and key. Turned away from it all like the blind man sat on the fence, but it don't work. The organ here creates that spiritual element. The finger snaps, magical symbol work on that hi-hat. The octaves of David and Freddie keep coming up with love, but it's so slashed and torn. Probably the most telling lyric in the song, and it's from David. We try, but the world tears us apart anyway, despite our best intentions. And this transition brings many things. A sinking bass, glissando, Freddie's pleading, wise, why? An explosion of guitars. An array of rolls and fills from our drummer. The chords are powerful, suggesting this minor inflection. Rising into a crescendo, more satisfying than anything else on Hot Space. And almost more than anything else in the guy's catalog, honestly. 
David's echoing lost love, love, love. It's sanity laughs under pressure, we're breaking. But Freddie's still not willing to let go. We're suddenly riding the percussion in full force, Roger's accented beat sounding almost R&B for a brief moment, and surrounded by cymbals. Can we just give ourselves one more chance? Why can't we give love that one more chance? The drums emphasize the piano strikes. The most obvious addition is the guitar power chords. There you are, Brian. A needed grit and presence. And through it all, John's bass is adding weight, emotion, depth. The end of this phrase, that emphasis on the seventh note, creates a wind-up into the final, most important moment. Cause love's such an old-fashioned word And love dares you to care for The people on the edge of the night I want to sing the whole thing. It's such a powerful moment. The opening chords carry us through. David's sounding more like classic Bowie here. Insistent, genuine, almost unbridled in his delivery. Every instrument is in full force. Eighth note piano, synth ringing out, loud and blaring guitars, pounding bass. It is interesting that they took the opening chords and used them here. In the verses, the opening chords are right here again. Until suddenly, we're in that bridge arrangement again. Caring about ourselves, this is our last dance. But you notice how the arrangement of the vocals doesn't really shift between those two sections. It bridges, it binds it all together those repeating motifs. I hear Roger in here. This is our last dance. I hear Roger's, what is that, fifth up there in those harmonies very strongly. This is ourselves under pressure. The synth distantly rings and fades. The piano, only there to fill with a cautious optimism, perhaps. Our claps and snaps are back. From all of the boys, all five of them, those hand claps and finger snaps, only to resolve to a lonely snap that disappears. What an incredible ride under pressure. Truly a very affecting, emotional, genuine piece. And the fact that it was written so long ago, that's what I wanted to talk about, was the style of this song, the arrangement of it, the instruments, something about this, nothing feels dated, nothing. You could pick apart every element of this song. The piano, the guitar, the drums, nothing about this screams 1981 or early 80s for that matter, not even the synth. There are universal patterns here that are somehow, especially with that emphasis on the fifth and fourth note transitions, somehow everything came together into this momentous thing that is still so relevant today and sounds fresh. Absolutely stunning and fresh under pressure. I think more than almost any song before it in Queen's catalog. This song sounds entirely new 
as it must have way back then. And certainly Bowie's magic here, very important. There are elements of Queen's songwriting style that are missing because we have Bowie who was so insistent, no, 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 we're not gonna overthink this. Let's let it come on its own. And of course we had Rogers feel like first, I think you might be surprised how similar some elements of that are to the verses of Under Pressure. You're gonna go, oh my gosh. So some of that genius is Rogers too. And certainly all of the boys chimed in on this. We have Brian's amazing guitar, his lyrical guitar. We have John and that bass line. Every single one of them brought something to this that was so important. And especially those vocals between our fantastic Freddie and that magical Bowie delivery. I need to listen to more Bowie. I think I know a lot more of David Bowie than, than I realized because he was so prolific. But he really had this strange style about him that I think was, it was incredibly enigmatic, but it was so attractive to the ear. And that's why he was so popular and loved as an artist as well. And something about this song if you haven't realized yet just how important this song is, how incredible it is, go back and listen to it again. There's a reason it was ranked number 429 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time in 2021. And it was voted the second best collaboration of all time in a poll by Rolling Stone magazine, only behind Boys to Men and Mariah Carey's One Sweet Day. It was listed at number 31 on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the 80s. It's been covered by many, including My Chemical Romance, Shawn Mendes, Juju, Joss Stone, and the Foo Fighters. Stylist Magazine called this song's baseline the number one baseline of all time. So if you didn't think Under Pressure was that important, just go back and listen to it again. Follow its journey. Listen to Feel Like. Listen to the album cut of Under Pressure. Watch and listen to them. Do it in Montreal. Check out the Freddie Mercury tribute concert performance. Check it out. All variations of it, including Wembley in 86. This song is the gift that keeps on giving. Under Pressure is fantastic. And, and personally, I'll tell you what, when I first listened to the song all the way through and really paid attention to it, which was far more recently than I care to admit, it didn't immediately wow me. And I can't believe that that's how it went down for me. It took a while for me to understand the significance, the importance, the brilliance of this song. But once you listen to those words, kicking my brains around the floor. These are the days it never rains, but it pours. There's so much playfulness, that, that scatting, that improvised perfection from Freddie against that intense seriousness from Bowie. And it just works. Everything about this, there is not a wasted note in Under Pressure. 
Everything is so intentional, but it's amazing that it came from such an organic, unplanned session. I think that's the most miraculous thing about it. It's not like anybody went into the studio and said, we're going to write a song. It just happened. That's what makes it so incredible. Anyway, I think I've gushed enough. I feel like there was so much more I wanted to say about under pressure. And I suppose I can touch on that as I wrap up Hot Space and I reveal who stole my attention the most on the entire album. It can only be one. And I know who it is. But you guys, under pressure. Tell me what you think. Are you a huge fan of it? Or whenever you hear the bass line, do you still think of Ice Ice Baby <laughs> first? It's okay. You can admit it. Crazy. All right, guys. I, I have no idea how long this is. I knew this was going to be long. The sheer amount. Sheer heart attack. The sheer amount of data, of information I collected was insane. So I knew this was going to be long. Thanks for sticking with me here. I'll be back next time. I'm not entirely sure I'm going to wrap up Hot Space or I'm going to talk about something different. I've got something on my mind that I'd like to touch on my podcast, but I'll be back next time. You guys have a great evening, day, week, weekend. Celebrate life for me, please. Whatever it is you're in the middle of or whatever you're doing, take a moment. Cheers to you. Keep yourselves alive. And I'll be back next time. Okay? Next time.